Hello, I'm Father Mitch Paco, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from all around the world. Our guest tonight is here to share with us how the superficial theories of Western elite people are harming all of us, but they are especially harming the poor and the vulnerable. Our guest also shines a spotlight on what he calls the vital virtues. These vital virtues are keys for success. They are used by all races and all cultures. If they're not used, there's failure. He is the author of a brand new book called War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. Please welcome my friend and the president of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, Mr. Bill Donahue. Bill, how the heaven are you? I'm doing well, and I'm doing better now that I'm looking at you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's great as always, great as always. You know, you had asked me to do a book blurb on this some months ago when it was still in the publication stage, and I've reread it, you know, for this program, and in the rereading of it, I like it even more. You know, the, the, it's the, one of these books that is so chocker full of important data, information, and facts, as well as clear thinking, that one is improved by rereading it. So I want to thank you for writing this, first of all. Thank you so much for your kind words. Well, it's true words. That's the important part. Um, you know, I'm the son of a used car salesman, but I don't schmooze. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, when we let's set up the issue. I, I want to talk about the virtues that are necessary. But first, what is the problem that you see? How do you describe the problem of you know the uh, lack of virtue, this war on virtue? that is destroying Western society. What's happening? Well, we've moved away from our Judeo-Christian roots, and starting in the 1960s, a militant secularism overwhelmed Western world, and certainly the United States. Mm -hmm. And now we're down to the idea that everybody can make up his own idea of right and wrong, there's no such thing as truth and the like. Now, that, that kind of uh, I, I, kind of left-wing ideology was true in the arts and education, in the media, in the entertainment industry, amongst legal activist organizations. What's happened in recent times is it's got much worse. We now have the specter of virtually all the elites, the, the ones who are the decision makers, even in the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the military, the healthcare industry. Uh, we certainly see it uh, in, 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 in some of the churches, for that matter. But we see it in the corporate 500 where it never used to be that way. But now your left-wing ideology is, is overwhelmed people. And the ruling class, is I am arguing, is this. They don't believe in the necessity of the vital virtues except for them and their own children. And they are certainly working to undermine them for everybody else. Mm -hmm. 
And just so that the, the viewers understand, by the vital virtues, I mean what I regard as a sociologist having studied this, the three most important virtues that make for academic excellence and, and, uh, and economic success. They would be self-discipline, but what's also known as self-control or impulse control. You have to exercise personal responsibility. And the third one would be perseverance, or what psychologists would call grit. If you are imbued, if you inculcate those virtues into any young person, they are likely to be a success. And I don't care whether you're a piano player or you're an athlete or you're a doctor. If you can exercise perseverance, personal responsibility, and self-control, you're going to be success. And what we're doing in this country, instead of nurturing these virtues, the elites, the ruling class, the decision makers are undermining them. One of the points you bring out is something I have talked a lot about, is that those virtues are not taught in schools. Those virtues are taught at home. Two parents who know you, or in some cases it's, it is only one parent, you know, for a variety of reasons with widowhood and other problems. Uh, but if the parent who knows the child inculcates those virtues and demands that a child, you know, grow into those virtues, then the kid will acquire them. But you don't get them by roaming the streets. It no, doesn't you don't. Happen. And, uh and, and, and you're right. You can come from a one-parent family, as I did. Uh, there's a certain handicap there. But quite frankly, the, the, the gold standard, and this is what the ruling class is working against, the gold standard is father and a mother. I didn't say two parents. I said a father and a mother. That's what the nuclear family is. But yet they're teaching in the schools that it's not really true that there's a gold standard. They're teaching Black Lives Matter came out and said we should destroy the nuclear family. Yep. The Smithsonian Institute on African American History and Culture says it's a joke that there's a right and a wrong family. Every family will do. No, that's working against them. And then nobody suffers more than African Americans when you tell them that that the one parent family is just as good as the two parent families. The, the four demographic groups, Father Mitch, that I point out that have succeeded the most in education and, and in terms of the workplace are Jews and Mormons and Nigerians uh, and, 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 uh, and Jews, Jews, Asians, Mormons, and, and, and Nigerians. Now, two of those groups, uh, the, 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 the Nigerians and the Asians, are, quote, people of color. So it's not racism and discrimination that is holding everybody back. If you come from an intact two-parent family, and that is true of a lot of black families, and those kids do well, and they're not a problem in the, with the law, you're going to do well. But we're disparaging. Instead of nurturing and celebrating the, the nuclear family, we're working against it. And, and, and that, 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 to me, is, is absolutely uh, insufferable. In fact, between 1910 and 1950, African Americans had a lower rate of out-of-wedlock birth than did Caucasians. That's census data. And it was in the 1950s, as the Aid to Dependent Children program 
was meant to help blacks in the post-war period, especially up north. As that came in, it gave a disincentive for fathers to stay with the mothers of their children and their children. And between 1950 and 1960, the black rate of out-of-wedlock birth went from 4% to 16%. And from 1960 to today, it's gone from 16% to, in 2020, it's 78%. And You're absolutely right. The result has been a catastrophe of poverty and failure to finish school for the children in those single-parent homes. You're absolutely right. Even though the slavery was not fair to blacks, no question about it, and racial discrimination, the black family was fairly resilient throughout the heyday of slavery and Jim Crow and up until around the 1950s. When you get into the 1960s, you have a black unemployment rate of 4% and an overall un unemployment rate of 3.5%. So we don't have an economic crisis. It, the 60s is a period of affluence. Why then did the welfare state explode? You, are, you can understand why people went on welfare during the Depression. There was an economic driver for that. But in the 1960s, the economy was good. The only way you understand this is to understand that the ruling class had basically given up on black people. They didn't treat them as equals. They wanted to push them across the finish line. And I'm very specific about this. Francis Fox Piven and Richard Cloward, two Columbia professors, husband and wife couple, used blacks as pawns in their political game. They intentionally wanted to get every black they could find in New York on welfare for the express purpose. I'm not making this up. It's all detailed in the book. For the express purpose of having New York City go bankrupt, then the federal government would create socialism. So they're just using blacks. They broke up the family, used them as political tools. And that's the disgrace of what's going on here. Yes, there were some people who made some bad decisions trying to help out blacks sincerely uh, had good intentions. But it, it's not all good intentions. Some people knew exactly what they were doing. They had malicious motives, is what I'm saying. And the antidote will not be more of the government trying to do the programs. The antidote is what we see with uh, this, the growing uh, middle class in, like you mentioned, Nigerian families, Asian families, and uh, Mormons and Jews. You have two cultures that are strongly family-oriented, and then you have two minority religious groups who are also family-oriented, yes. and they communicate these virtues to their children, and they succeed tremendously. And the, the, the sad thing is that they are targeted because of success. It's the tall poppy syndrome. You, if, if one poppy grows up taller than the rest, you cut off its head. It, that's the wrong approach. It's rather we learn from the success how to become more successful. That's what we'd like to see. 
Just take one of those four groups, Asians, all right? They come over here, they don't understand the English language. Within a generation, their kid is the valedictorian. Why? Because they come from intact two-parent families, and no group, no demographic group in American society does more homework per day than Asians. They're number yep. one. African Americans are in the last place because you come from one-parent families, and it's difficult uh, in, in that kind of situation. Now, the Asians will work with their kids. They'll, they'll make them practice self-discipline. They'll make them learn the violin, because they not because they want them to become musical uh, stars in Carnegie Hall, but if you practice the violin, you're likely to, to develop a good work ethic. If you develop a good work ethic, it'll show up with homework. And that's how you become a success. Now, we should be teaching everybody that, that, that Jews and Asians and Nigerians and Mormons are the role model. Instead, we're discriminating against Asians because they're doing too well in the Ivy League schools. They're doing too well right here in New York City, according to what they're saying, because they're filling all the better slots in, in, the, in the high achievement uh, public schools here. Instead of saying, let's have everybody clear the bar, we're lowering the bar for everybody and we're holding back with quotas, Asians, because they're too successful, along with, along with a lot of non-Asians. It's a disgrace. The other thing that, uh, they, there was a study done in Chicago in a school that had gone from Appalachian white to African American and then to Vietnamese, Cambodian, Hmong. So the neighborhood changed. And with the Appalachian whites and the, the black population, the school, when it was a Jewish school, before that even, it was the number one school in the city. It went way down with the Appalachian whites and the African Americans, but became number one again with the Asian kids. And what they found as a factor is, since the parents didn't know English, the oldest kid would teach the next oldest to help him with the homework. And then that kid would teach the next youngest all the way down the line. And by learning to teach their younger siblings, they learned it better. As every teacher knows, when you teach something, you learn it better yourself. And that process of the kids sitting around the table doing homework and helping each other makes a huge difference. And that discipline and giving to your family made for tremendous success. And I think, no, I agree totally. And no group has suffered more at the hands of the ruling class than African-Americans. Oh, yes, the white, well-educated liberals will say, no, we're on the side of blacks. No, they're working against them. They're not nurturing the vital virtues. I worked in Spanish Harlem in the 1970s in a black and Puerto Rican neighborhood. I saw the difficulty the kids had. But you know what? I helped them to clear the bar. I didn't drop the bar for them. And when I went on to the college professor in Pittsburgh, I was the faculty advisor to the basketball team, worked closely with the African-American kids, the boys and the girls. And again, I, held, I looked at them as equals. But the problem is, as I point out, and this goes back to the 1850s, the very first sociologist in America, the first book, was a, a book written by a guy by the name of George yep. Fitzhugh. And George Fitzhugh was, said he was pro-black, he was a left-wing progressive, he was also in favor of slavery because he said blacks can't compete against whites in a market economy, so we might as well keep them down on the farm because they're too stupid to make it on their own. 
and they are the happiest people on earth because everything is taken care of. That's the real white racism. I mentioned him in the 1850s because in the late 19th century, early 20th, Richard Eli, a famous progressive, said pretty much the same thing. Fast forward to 1988, Charles Murray from the American Enterprise Institute says, we, we are looking at the coming of the custodial democracy, where the white ruling class will become the custodians taking care of black people, because they don't treat them as equals. They don't allow them to succeed. And they're going to be like the, this paternalistic overlords, just the way we treat the Indians. This is a patronizing, condescending, white liberal racism that is driving the problem. They'll say, oh, no, 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 we're on the side of blacks. Don't believe them for a moment. No, it's the other thing that concerns me as the family is encouraged to break down, as the, uh, the, the, the array of sexual misbehaviors increases, and as you, the breakdown of sexual discipline, like you had said, one of the things that is very important is delayed gratification, and that applies to the sexual urges, so that you wait until marriage, and you have this, you know, well-ordered society called family. Uh, that is all discouraged, and as a result, the elite people stay very wealthy, mm -hmm. and the middle class falls apart and gets poor. It becomes easier to control. Yeah, and, and, and one of the, I'm glad you mentioned that, Father, because one of the things I do in the book, again, I give attribution, I have a lot of footnotes. People will be surprised to, when they read how the ruling class, not every one of them, but too many of them, of these elite decision makers, they're actually thrashing the family. They're actually working yep. against the vital features. They, they're discouraging uh, people from being successful. And you, you have to begin to wonder, what kind of an agenda do you have? And why is it so popular in the schools to thrash the nuclear family and to say there is no blue chip family? I look at the sociological data done by serious sociologists, and we know that there is a, a, a nuclear family that is a blue chip. And they're trying to say, no, every alternative family, gay families, alternatives, cohabitation, and the like, no, 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 no. There's, there's no substitute for it. And the ruling class should be encouraging and nurturing it. Instead, they're actually teaching in the schools uh, to discourage it, to, to thrash it, to, to uh, disparage it. It's mind-boggling. Well, especially, you know, I do some work in prisons, you know, not a lot, but some. And I see it, and people across the country and prison chaplains I've spoken f with from Europe say the same thing. 85% of the inmates are the children of unmarried parents. That is across the racial lines. It's 85% of the white guys, of the black guys, and the Hispanics, and one of your favorite groups that's missing, the Asians, because they don't have that problem. At least they haven't succumbed to it yet. And it's very important to see that the lack of family is the sound, the strongest indicator of the likelihood not to finish high school and to end up 
in the prison system. It's the biggest well, and, and, you know, to that end, and I do this because it's a true story, and I do it because I want to convince people it's not a matter of race that black nope. men are more likely to be involved in crime. I come from a one-parent family. My father left me when I was a child and never really got to know him and abandoned me in every single way. My grandparents from Ireland came over to the Bronx and then to Long Island and raised me. My mother worked nights as a, as a nurse. I never saw her during the week. And so I was always in trouble. So if the, if the Catholic school that I went to, you either got an S for satisfactory in conduct or you got a U. I never saw an S in the eight years in kindergarten and nine years once. And then she, my mother sent me to a Catholic boarding school, figured that might straighten me up. They almost threw me out. I was suspended for conduct for grades, got thrown out of college. And I finally grew up uh, when I got to be in, in, in the Air Force and then went on to get a PhD and the like. My point is this. Yeah, yeah, boys need fathers. I'm not saying girls don't. But boys in particular need fathers to discipline them. And when you have, the, the average is right now, 70% of black kids are raised in a one-parent family by a mother. And in some neighborhoods, it's 80 and 90% of the entire neighborhood without a father, that's the real problem we have to address. Do you ever hear the great uh, white and, for that matter, black leaders? I quote a number of black scholars in the book who are all good. They see it. But what about the big names that are out there? They don't talk about this. Everything is about a racism, systemic racism and the like and whatnot. Look, the average white guy couldn't tell the difference between a guy from Harlem or a Nigerian. How come the Nigerians, if they're victims of racism and discrimination, some of them may be, how come they do so well? Okay, the answer is because they come from intact families, father and mother families, and and so the, the family is the critical one, particularly explaining incivility amongst males. Yep, there's this is key, and it, and a big part of that is it's your father and your mother working together, giving two different sides of reality. You know, I like to always point out how it's a man's instinct. And I, I have it myself with my niece and nephew that when they're small, you take and you toss them up in the air and catch them. That's sort of what guys do. Whereas yeah. moms hold them close and talk to them. And, and it, that, to me, gets at the way that the male and female work together. A mom teaches security, unconditional love. A dad teaches risk. You take a risk of flying in the air and I'll catch you. And the two sides are necessary for life. And that applies to so, that's just one little example, but it applies to so much. You need that balance back and forth to get these virtues that you're talking about. You're absolutely right. And of course, as you well know, Father Mitch, the Catholic Church has a word for that. It's a little awkward. Complementarity. Yep. The male complements the female. The female complements the male, the husband and the wife. And yes, they bring to the table different strengths. And, 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 and that's why you just can't have two men or two women. It's not quite the same. Mm -hmm. We live in a society today where what you just said and what I just said it would be demonized. They say, oh, that's atavistic. It's a throwback to some other time. It's patriarchal. No, it isn't. It's biology 101. Men are more aggressive than women because they have more testosterone. That doesn't make them better. It makes them different. 
And this idea that you can change your sex, they call it gender. We don't even know what they're talking about. You can't change your sex. You're either XXXY. There are some XYY people out there. There's always an anomaly in nature. But you're either male or you're female. And the idea that you can change uh, sex the way you can, like like switching your batteries on, in your telephone, is absolute madness. And they're teaching it to little kids. It's all an attack on God, and it's an attack on human nature. Well... No, no matter what relatively superficial surgeries may be done on a per superficial, but I think devastating, surgeries on the primary and secondary sexual organs, every single cell remains, as you just said, either XX or XY. And one of the problems, we, we had Dr. Quentin Van Meter on my show just a few weeks ago, about over a month ago now, uh, and he brings out that if your cells at the deepest level of every single cell is an XY cell, it is going to respond appropriately to testosterone. If it is an XX cell, it is going to uh, respond appropriately to estrogen. And if you start giving what, and I'm going to say the word, this is dangerous, but the wrong hormone for that cell, then it cannot grow in the proper way. And as he, as he pointed out from the studies in Sweden, that children who have such sex change operations and get the hormone treatment and the puberty blockers lower their life expectancy by 50%. That's 40. And if you add into that the high rate of suicide among those who have that, then you're talking about a life expectancy that would probably be a little bit closer to 35. This is a way to purge our society by elites who want the population of the earth reduced to 50 million people. And that's not just Democrats, it's Republicans too. That th th this is not about party affiliation, it's about elitism. And that is part of what, the, it's a way to just get people to sterilize themselves, volunteer to it, but also make themselves prone to an early death. And this is why the church is right in saying that such behavior is wrong. Well, the church's moral voice has to be spoken more loudly. There's no question about it. And notice that it's the elites. You know, I looked at the studies on, on this. It's the more well-educated people, college-educated and postgraduate, who are the most likely to believe that people can change their sex and that men can get pregnant and give birth. The least likely people to believe it are African-Americans. Why? They, they're the least likely to be indoctrinated the way the white people have with college education. It's, it's a shame that at a panel at Harvard Medical School just a few years ago, they concluded that men can get pregnant. Now, we all know this is madness, but it's coming from the ruling class, okay? It, just because you self-identify, that's not dispositive. I've said it before on many TV and radio chases. I'm going to say it again today. 
A lot of people say, they look at Bill Donahue, they say, oh, you're a big Irishman. And my answer is no, I'm a Chinese dwarf. All right? How's that? I'm self-identifying. If this is the kind of world we live in, that you can just simply make up truth on the fly, this is very, very, very dangerous territory. Absolutely. And, you know, and I will never see you as Chinese or dwarf. <laughs> It's just not. I um, but I do that just to make the point. It's craziness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, the, uh, it's very important for folks to understand this book that you have because the war on virtue by the elites is a control technique. They seem to want to use fear and as a Protestant minister friend of mine, lo local Methodist minister said, for every point of increased fear, your intelligence quotient goes down five points. Fear makes you more ignorant and, you, and gives you less judgment. And the more that they get us to be afraid in commercials, or from the government, or from the schools, the dumber we get. And we need to take a break, Bill. We'll come back in a minute. I just want to let people know that if you are interested in getting more information on the work of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, please go to catholicleague.org. catholicleague.org. We'll take a break and we'll come right back and continue our conversation. Welcome back. We are speaking with Bill Donahue about his new book, War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. And again, it's available at EWTNRC.com, and it is item number 8847, 8847. Um, Again, I've gone through it twice, and the uh, second time was even better. I urge you to get this because one of the things that you did, Bill, in writing this is you're not sitting there just sort of thinking, well, I had some big thoughts. Uh, this, this is sort of bothering me. No, you have the data. You have the statistics. You're basing this on the studies done by lots and lots of folks, but these studies are not allowed to be printed or talked about on YouTube and Facebook and lot. These are topics that have been squashed. They're, they're canceled discussions on many of the media. 
and you are putting them where they can't get canceled in a book that is very important for people to read in order to get that data. Well, thank you very much for that. I mean, I got my PhD in sociology from New York University in 1980. I've taught every grade from the second grade through uh, newly minted PhDs from around the world. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful in giving attribution, giving footnotes uh, with scientific evidence. It's not just a big op-ed uh, essay here. And yes, there's a suppression of the truth. And one of the persons I mentioned in my book, I've never met her, she's a Jewish gal out of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, Amy Wax. She co-authored a piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer a few years ago talking about what I call the vital virtues. She called them bourgeois virtues, very similar kinds of things, self-discipline, perseverance, uh, self-responsibility, et cetera. And she says this is what uh, the underclass and the, and, and the minorities need to uh, be inculcated in. It's a very commonsensical argument. I make it in the book throughout. She was attacked. By the by, 33 of her fellow law students, uh, law professors rather, yeah. at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, an Ivy League institution. Uh, he, she and Ali, Larry Alexander out of San Diego State, but mostly Amy, Amy Wax, and they're acting like as if she's a racist. No, the racists again are the ones who don't think of black people as six, as a as equals. If you think of black peoples as equals as you do and I do then you will demand of them what you will demand of everybody else. But if you think blacks are incapable because they don't have what it takes to make it, then you're going to cut all kinds of breaks and lower the bar, and you're not going to talk about the bourgeois virtues or what I call the vital virtues. So, yeah, there's a suppression. They try to drive it out of the University of Pennsylvania. And, yeah, it, conservatives have a hard time even getting a job in, in higher education. I, I taught for many years. I know it. And if they find out you are a conservative, they'll try and deny your tenure. And these are the people who believe in diversity. The last diversity that that is prevalent on a college campus is diversity of thought. That's the one diversity that counts the most, and they don't allow it. And I've said many times on my programs that there was more freedom of speech and thought in a medieval university than in a modern Ivy League school. In a medieval university, you could debate any topic. You had to back it up and come up with logical arguments, and other people would argue with you in public. This was the university entertainment to have debates at the universities. And you could go back and forth, but the rules of logic were clear and definite, and you had to back up what you said. And this would be, and you'd be ranked by your fellow students and the faculty as to whether or not you were logical. You see instead that there's a caricature of medieval times as being stifling of thought. Meanwhile, it's in the modern university where you can have a small space for free speech, and even that is considered too threatening with, um, what do they call it, minor aggressions. Uh, this is absurd, and they keep coming up with lists of words you cannot say, like mother and father. 
You can't say that in some of these places. Microaggressions, that's what they call them, microaggressions. Um, this is something that you wouldn't have in the, uh, a medieval university. You'd have a disputatio. And everybody could understand because it was in Latin, and you went at it, but then that was the, the, if you won the debate or you lost it on the basis of logic and facts. Not the case anymore. No, as a matter of fact, I've said something very similar to you. That's why I said we're kind of like a tag team here. I like it. Maybe I use an Irish example. And I, the example I give is that there's more free speech in your local Irish pub than there is on your local college campus. Uh, it's, it's on the local college campus where they have, as you say, free speech zones where people have to go into some circle area to talk about whatever they want to talk about. It's all being driven by the left. It's not conservatives who are shouting down liberal and left-wing speakers on the campus. It's all coming from the left. And the fact of the matter is that the ruling class in, in our society, in this case here, the education elite, I'm talking about the and, and, and the culpability extends to the Board of Governors and, and the like. This couldn't go on without the support of, of the parents, too. You know, and, and, and sadly, it happens on a lot of Catholic campuses as well. Absolutely. Parents have the checkbook. And if they think that this school is not sufficiently Catholic or it's gone too far left, they can, they can exercise their choice. Too many of them are now are quiet and they're passive and they're going along with this instead of speaking out and holding their checkbook back. That's the only way you're going to change this. I, I think that when, I, I mean, I hear uh, parents describe how their children go to a campus to see if they like the campus. Whereas I always ask, A, what do you want to study? What's going to be your major? Does this school have that major? And do the faculty, or, or excuse me, better, do the graduates get jobs in that field? If they don't, it might be because the faculty is incompetent. So look for where there's success and go to school like that. And not cho choose because, well, it's got a good gym and the, and the student center is pretty nice. No, that's, that's a country club you're looking for. You need a university where you can think. And there's, uh, I want to recommend the Newman Society as a place that evaluates schools for some of these issues and for learning how to think and not become uh, the objects of the professor's propaganda. That's what's going on far too often. And it is, and again, it always goes back to the people making the decisions. It's not the students. Uh, to some extent, it is the professors. It's certainly the administrators. Uh, people may be surprised to learn the administrators are even further left in their so-called progressive ideas, which really trans down to militant secularism. Uh, it's really, the, 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 this is a fight between the idea of radical individualism and radical egalitarianism on the one hand, and our Judeo-Christian ethos, our heritage, our proud uh, understanding of moral absolutes, of the ideas that there are certain ideas which are right and wrong, and that we have, the academy is supposed to pursue one thing. One goal is why colleges, colleges exist, the pursuit of truth. And today is the pursuit of politics. Indeed, you now have people saying things that, you know, we're at the, we're at the point we're going to bring back the, the Flat Earth Society, because they have about as much credibility as the people saying that a man can get pregnant. And so uh, we, we, we've gone off, we've gone off the, the, the rails in, in our society. 
and it's at every level of education. And if the ruling class wanted to do something about it, they could. Instead, they're the ones promoting this curriculum. If they're not promoting the idea that men can become women, they're promoting that every white person is by nature a racist. When I, when I, and I recount in the book on the war on virtue, when I'm, a, say, a little girl at the age of six, goes home to her mother, and she says, mommy, am I evil? And the mother says, why would you even ask that? She said, because my teacher told me I'm evil because I'm white. There has to be a parental rebellion in this country, and it has to go way beyond the Catholic community. This is fascism. We should not allow it in, in the United States of America. I, again, it's, this is very important because just a, a few weeks ago, I had Dr. Edward Fazer. I don't know if you know him, but he uh, just Yes, did, I do. Yeah, and he just did I know a his one, work. wonderful book on critical race theory, pointing this out. I endorsed it. Yeah, yeah. This, this is uh, a tremendous book uh, that develops the same point. You don't educate people to think if you're black, you cannot get out of being bigoted against. And if you're white, you cannot get out of being a bigot. There's no change. You are the way you are. It's a condemnation to this stasis. And by saying that you are condemned, they are able to control the population with guilt instead of saying, here is how we go forward and look at, the, in fact, the, the reality of so many African-Americans who are well-educated. They are becoming middle class. If you believe these elites, then you will stay put and you can't fix, you know, anything around you and they stay in total control. That is one of the issues that I think is at stake. It is, and, and the whole purpose is to divide us. We have graduation ceremonies this spring taking all, yep. of, all over the country, particularly in the more prominent universities, separate graduation ceremonies for whites and blacks, for Asians and non-Asians, for gays and straights. Now, the idea of having separate graduation ceremonies for black people, I'm sure that would be cheered by the Ku Klux Klan. Instead, it's the white liberal elites who are running the universities they do it at Harvard, they do it at Yale, they do it at Columbia. What is the purpose of doing this? This is kind of a new apartheid. Uh, you're segregating people because the, there's one goal in mind here, to divide us as a nation. The, the old adage of united we, we stand, divided we fall, happens to be true. And we have these divisions. Uh, yes, it's engineered by the critical race theory people in the schools. And the idea that everybody is, is different and, and the like, we, we should be stressing what we have in common as Americans. And you can see it in sports. The white players, the black players, the Hispanic players, and the Asian players in baseball, they get along, they cheer each other, they're all on the same team. They're working against the other team, which has some of the same demographic people as theirs. But it's, it's a matter of competition. But, but that, those are one of the few examples of meritocracy left in our society. The ruling class, having gotten all the riches, now are working against everybody else. And as I said before, African-Americans are good people. They are being punished more than any other segment of the population. It's, you know, the, I grew up for part of my life in the segregated South back in the early 1950s. 
we lived in the South. And, you know, and segregation was real. My school was all white, even though a black neighborhood was right next door. Black children could not study at our school. And it's as if, and, and ironically, it's the liberal branch of the same political party that in its conservative side promoted segregation then. Now the liberal elite side of that party is promoting a new form of segregation. And I don't think it's helpful. Uh, one of the great things that's happened in the South is black and white folks and all the other groups that are here, that it's normal to hang out. You know, it's not a big deal where people are friends with whom they're friends with and the racial differences are irrelevant. This is setting up new Jim Crow laws, but from the left. And I find this to be utterly unacceptable. You know, I want to see everybody in our country move forward. This is very important for the education aspect of our society. Well, that's right. And, you know, again, it's, you know, it'd be one thing if this kind of thinking was confined only to the elites in education who have been off the rails for a long time. It's now spread to the corporations. They believe yeah. in this kind of stuff. It's in the healthcare industry. The Joint Chiefs of Staff, I wrote to Mark Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs Staffs, a few weeks ago. I, I've written to, to the Navy, to the Air Force. They're, they're having trans men now, uh, men dressed as women, uh, trying to get new recruits to, to join the, the armed forces. And they wonder why their recruitment numbers are down. Why are they accepting this? Why don't they just, the military is there for one reason, to win wars. You don't win wars by treating men like girls and then expecting people to join the armed forces. I spent four years in the Air Force, and, you know, quite frankly, yeah, there were homosexuals there, and they were treated fairly for the most part. And when they wanted to leave, all they had to do was announce that they were homosexual, and they were given a general, a general discharge. And six months later, they could appeal, and they got, a, they got an honorable discharge. So it's not like as if people being persecuted, but they, they this idea of, uh, it, you know, let me just say this. It's one thing to believe in tolerance. We should be tolerant of people who are different. But remember, tolerance means to put up with. There's a big difference, a profound difference between tolerance and affirmation. Don't ask me to affirm something which I regard as intrinsically disordered, okay? I, I can be tolerant of people who are different, but I don't have to affirm lifestyles, and that's what this is about. And the idea of men in drag, this is done intentionally to confuse little kids about their sexuality. Get back to the vital virtues. Get back to basics. Allow the parents to teach the kids the virtue of self-responsibility, personal responsibility, the idea that you must persevere in life, practice self-discipline, be patriotic to your country. Otherwise, nobody's going to defend it. If you teach everybody to hate America, why would anybody want to defend it? That's what we need to get back to. But we have to be skeptical of the ruling elite, because if you hear something that's said that sounds to you in your gut, this is crazy. Don't trust the people with the alphabets after their name anymore. I'm not saying you should be cynical. I am saying you should be skeptical. So if somebody says to you, 
well, the best way to proceed to have uh, discipline in the classroom is to have a quota against any group. They can't get, get beyond a quota because otherwise they, they're violating the quota to be disciplined. So if more blacks are acting out than Asians, does that really help out anybody, including blacks, if you put a cap on the number of kids who can be disciplined? we got to get back to basics. The average American is not the problem. It's the ruling class. Yep. yep. This is uh, something that, again, cannot be underestimated. Something else, you mentioned uh, sports and business, which are very much intertwined because so much of sports is big business. Uh, something, we just have a few minutes left, but uh, I know that you've been talking about this, I've been talking about it. Um, we also see that there is a strong anti-Catholicism that it's been around the United States since the, the, the beginning, since the, since the colonial period. Uh, Catholicism was not allowed in any of the colonies except Maryland and Pennsylvania. And after a while, the Puritans took over Maryland and kicked the Catholics out of the Catholic uh, colony. And so anti-Catholicism has been around, but a present-day form of it is showing up with giving a community hero award to a group of homosexual men, mostly men. It's also women, both straight. They, they said have straight women, gay women, straight men, gay men, but mostly gay men who call themselves the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And the Los Angeles Dodgers offered to give them an award they rescinded it. Now they're doing it again. Um, do you have any further comments? I have been outraged because I'm working for a network founded by a wonderful holy nun who was part of a community of holy nuns that I still I teach scripture and such with them, know them well. I, I love the sisters that taught me. I love the sisters I know. And this, to me, is the equivalent of a blackface minstrel show that insults nuns the way blackface minstrel shows insulted African-Americans. And I find it very offensive. Well, when I found out about this last week, uh, I went bonkers. And we have an enormous list of email subscribers. And we got the uh, email of Rob Manfred, who's the Major League Baseball commissioner, He's allowed this for the Dodgers to take place. And we pounded him. And next thing you know, in 24 hours, we won, supposedly. They disinvited the sisters, the perpetual indulgence. And then the gays uh, kicked into high gear over the weekend, and they got them to re-invite them. And then, then the Dodgers actually apologized to them. Now, what we're doing, I wrote a report. I wrote it on Monday. We released it on Tuesday. It's up on the online, a Catholic League. You can find it. And there is a, a report is in great detail from 1979 up to 2023 about the anti-Catholic antics of Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. We are asking people on June 16th, it's a Friday night, if you live in Los Angeles, boycott that particular game. I can't take on the whole Dodgers, but we can cherry pick one particular game. June 16th, the Dodgers are playing at home, and that's the night when they have Pride event night. 
when they're going to get a reward for these anti-Catholic bigots. And if we can drive down the numbers on a Friday, that would at least send a message to these elites that you can't get away with this. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Catholics are being treated as second-class citizens, and the gay activists who are anti-Catholic, I'm not talking about all gays, I'm talking about the activists out there in Los Angeles, they hate Catholics, and that's why they're doing this. And now the elites, back to the elites again, uh, they're the ones who are sanctioning it. This, uh, so folks understand, this is a group that does pornographic acts in front of Christ crucified. They make, they ridicule Christ on the cross with pornographic things, pornographic scenes that they make and activities. They are pornographic in their depiction of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as well as dishonoring our sisters. And I, I think it's important to remember, it was Catholic nuns who were among the first to open up hospices to care for AIDS patients when everyone was afraid of AIDS, we, nobody understood. It was like COVID times. You know, people didn't understand it. They were afraid of victims of AIDS, but the sisters were there caring for them when, no, when their families even wouldn't. And this is, uh, again, such a cartoonish, clownish, uh, and insulting uh, display uh, no matter what other good they may do, that good doesn't undo the evil any more than any good that a racist might do undoes the blackface minstrel shows. You don't attack other people's dignity. And this is something that's very important. Uh, I just, we're, we're on the, the, the time, so sorry that we're running out, but I just want to mention again that your book is called War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. It's by our guest, Bill Donahue. You can get it at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 8847. If you want to find out that article, go to catholicleague.org and learn more about the, the, the history of this group. Um, Bill, I can't thank you enough for writing the book and for being with us. And I'd like to give you and our audience my blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can bring you the guests like Bill and all the others because the network is brought to you by you when you keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, you enable us to pay our bills too. God bless and thank you.